Uh, go ahead and turn to the book of Ruth. Uh, we're going to start out at the end of Ruth, Ruth chapter 2. And as you're turning there, um, it, I, I just love this time of year. I, I love all the different things around us that point us to remember what Jesus has done. And I love that we get to gather every Sunday and celebrate that. I'm, as I'm sitting down there, standing down there singing with you, I love hearing you sing and also just seeing our team and the way that they're worshiping and praising God. It's just such a special thing that we get to be a part of every single week. And it's so cool that we get to walk through books of the Bible together and just unpack what God's Word says. And so if you've not been here, it might seem like a really kind of strange thing to be in the book of Ruth uh, a week before Christmas. Uh, if you have been here, you've kind of seen the connection that's happening. And, and the connection is this. Uh, the Bible, though it's 66 books full of multiple stories, all of those stories weave together to promote and declare one story. And that story is about the redeeming God sending his son to rescue sinners and to bring them together into a people for his glory and for his name. And Ruth, and the story of Ruth that's in the Old Testament, is a significant part of that story. It's just four chapters, small little part of the Old Testament. But in it, we get this picture that we talked about last week, and we'll continue talking about this week, of redemption. The idea of the kinsman redeemer. And how the redemption that's found in the book of Ruth is pointing uh, to a greater redemption that is coming in Jesus Christ himself. And so we're going to just jump back into this book together. In chapter 1, we talked about how this is a dark day in the time of Israel. It's the time of the judges. And Israel has rebelled against God. Everyone's doing what's right in his own eyes. Just rampant wickedness is going on. And so in the midst of that context comes the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth. And not only is it a dark time, chapter 1 opens on a really bleak situation. Famine. The death of a husband. The death of Naomi's only sons. For Ruth, the death of her husband and her father-in-law. And so a dark situation is met with deep tragedy. And in the first week that we began talking through Ruth, we began asking the question, is there any hope? One of of our themes through this book is the idea of hope. Is there any hope? How can there be hope? And even in the midst of the tragedy and the darkness and the hurting, Naomi, who is grieving and mourning and doesn't understand, she, she still following the Almighty God. And in this hopeless situation, there's hope in that this young Moabite woman, this woman who's outside the family of God, outside the nation of Israel, who would have worshipped pagan false gods with her family, is now leaving those gods behind to unite herself to Naomi and the God of Israel, Yahweh. We see God, even in the midst of of darkness is at work. And then last week we began to see the story unfold even more and how redemption was beginning to come through for Ruth and for Naomi through this guy named Boaz. And Boaz shows Ruth kindness and shows her grace and brings her to his table and is, is, uh, the kindness of God is overflowing through Boaz to Ruth and to, sorry, to, Ruth and to Naomi. And that sets us up where we're going today, and this could be kind of titled Redemption Part 2. We, we kind of 
kind of got a glimpse of it last week, but you can tell something's going on between this character named Ruth and this character named Boaz. And, and we get to see that played out in this passage this morning and see what it means for us. And so as we get into this text, we know if you've read the book before, you've been around it, that, that there is a relationship that's coming for Ruth and Boaz. And so how many of you in this room enjoy a good love story? Anybody in here who's not afraid to admit it? Okay, a few of you got like shy hands going up. I see you fellas. That's awesome. Uh, you know, we, we love love stories. How many of you who are currently married are, you'd say, I'm in a love story right now? Okay, yeah, there you go, husbands. Hands going up really fast. That's awesome. If you didn't put your hand up fast, man, some people are putting their hands up now. Wife's looking at you. Yeah, gave you a good opportunity. It's a Christmas gift right there. We love a good love story, even if, even if you're not really into romantic kind of stuff. We, we love it when the people come together and good wins and all that kind of thing. And as we get into chapter 3, this is really, really important for us to understand this chapter and understand what it means for us and what it meant for these people in this story and what it means for everyone who encounters this, the nation of Israel. And this is the truth that I want us to kind of think about and wrestle through as we walk through this passage, and it's this. The book of Ruth is not a love story. It's a redemption story. It's not a love story. It's not woman meets man, man meets woman, and everything kind of comes together. It's not a story of tragedy and lost husband and now finding true love. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story of Ruth is is not a love story, it's a redemption story. It's not about a good woman who does good things and is rewarded for her goodness by God. Instead, Ruth is a story about the God who redeems. It's about the God who redeems. And what we see at work in Ruth's life and Naomi's life and Boaz's life is a picture of the redemption that God is working on behalf of his people, Israel that ultimately is working on the behalf of you and the behalf of me, any who would place their faith in Jesus Christ. So that, that is our context. So what I want to do this morning is we want to bring this out, this, this idea, this story of redemption. We want to look at the redeeming God. We want to look at the way that Naomi and Ruth and Boaz are responding to the redeeming God. And what does that mean for us? And so we're just going to walk through this passage uh, there's kind of four sections that are within this, um, this, this passage, and uh, I'm a pastor, and so you're going to see some alliteration through here, and that's, that's totally okay, that's just a normal thing, don't be afraid. And then uh, we'll, we'll pull it all together, okay? So the first part of this passage is the pursuit of redemption, the pursuit of redemption. So let's start in verse 20, because it helps give us some context as to what's happening in chapter 3. So this is, Ruth has just encountered Boaz. She's come back to Naomi and told Naomi everything that happened. Verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Exclamation point. And I love it. We we won't have time to get to this week. We'll we'll chase it more next week when we wrap the book up. But I I do just want to say to anyone in the room who this might be where you are, Again, Naomi has gone through the loss of her husband. Think about that. The loss of her husband. The loss of her sons. 
the hurt, the hardship, the despair. Some of you know what it's like to lose loved ones. Some of you are walking through that right now, more recently. This time of year reminds us of some of those losses. A lot of times they don't seem to make sense. There's hardship that some people are walking through in this room this morning that doesn't make sense. The end of chapter one, Naomi is saying, call me Mara, for I'm bitter, wounded. At the end of chapter two, Naomi is shouting blessing. Praise be to God. Praise be to the kindness that has been shown by who? The Lord, who has not forsaken the living and who has not forsaken the dead. Naomi sees now that God is at work, that this chance encounter by Ruth and Boaz in a field is not a chance encounter. That God is working in our waiting. That behind everything that's happening, God is working for his glory and for our good. And I just want to encourage you, if you're here this morning, God has a plan in the midst of your pain. His purpose in it for you in the midst of your pain. Let's keep going. Naomi also said, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So the idea of redemption comes in, and it's really important to explain what this is, because this is really different for us, uh, kind of in the West, the United States, when she's talking about one of our redeemers. She's not talking about um, they need redemption in the sense that, oh, we've made mistakes and we need a shot at redemption. That's not what's going on here. And it's even not, a, she's not talking about trying to earn God's favor, or earn salvation, or earn her redemption. The idea of redemption is a gift from God given to his people, the children of Israel, in the book of Deuteronomy. And so you can go back and read for it yourself if you want to get some of the context. But Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10, God makes this command and gives it to Moses to give to the people that when uh, a person would lose their husband, if they did not have any children or if they lost their children, that widow would then have no way to carry on the family line. So in that day, it's a patriarchal society. Everything kind of flows through the, through the husband and the heir. And so if there is no man, there is no heir. If there is no heir, the name of that family is lost. The land is lost. Everything is going to be lost. So God in his kindness and goodness provided a means to care for people in that situation called the kinsman redeemer. This is what Ruth or Naomi is referring to. The kinsman redeemer would be a relative close to the husband who's deceased who could step in, marry his wife, have a child, have a son, and continue the family name so that the land, the possessions, and the name could go on. So there would be no name in the land of Israel that would be blotted out. So this is a good gift from God. This is what Ruth Naomi sings. She's saying, as she's hearing from Ruth, she's seeing that God is working for her good and for his glory. And even one of the things that we'll see as we walk through this passage is that Naomi is not pushing Ruth to go find a husband and go take care of themselves. Instead, she is pursuing the route of Redeemer, the kinsman Redeemer, which is, for her, means that she's pursuing faithfulness to God, faithfulness to his law, faithfulness to his covenant. She is fully devoted to him and she's pushing Ruth to be fully devoted to God as well. 
Verse 22, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that you go on with this young, these young women, lest in other fields you be assaulted. That refers to the dark time period they're in. There, there were physical concerns for Ruth's well-being, and Naomi is saying, thankfully, Boaz is going to protect you. Stay, stay there. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So in chapter 2, we saw that it was the start of harvest time. Now at the end of chapter 2, it's the end of harvest time. And we know that, kind of looking at history, that that would be a minimum of six to eight weeks. So this is not just one day this event happens, next day the other event happens. There's a long period of time that's going on. And what's happening in those six to eight weeks? Ruth is continuing to be faithful. Every day, sun up to sun down, harvesting the grain, taking care of her mother-in-law, learning about the covenantal God, just being faithful. We know that because Boaz will talk about it later on in the chapter. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? So I want to provide for you. I want to make sure you're taken care of, that it may be well with you. It's not Boaz, our relative, with whose young women you were. See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man till he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. What in the world is going on here? right? So we read this passage, and this is, what's a threshing floor, and why is she getting all dressed up at midnight? That's a little suspicious, and uncovering feet, and laying down, like what in the world is going on here? And all we know is that Ruth says, okay, whatever you say, I'm going to do. So let's kind of break this down a little bit. This is what Naomi's saying. She's saying, I want to provide for you. I really believe that God's provision is this man named Boaz. And so here's the way that we're going to pursue this. And she kind of lays out this plan. And the author doesn't tell us why. He doesn't tell us why now, why at night at the threshing floor, why in this manner are they having that conversation. We, we don't know. There's, there's speculation. We can guess some things as to why. But for Naomi, she believes that this is the best way for Ruth to address Boaz. And she knows that Boaz is going to be there. Because during this time at the threshing floor, all the wheat, all the harvest, all the grain would be there. Um, It was a special place where the wind would blow through. It made it easier to do the work. And someone would always have to stay overnight with the harvest to make sure no one stole it. And so she knew this is an opportunity for Ruth to talk to Boaz when no one else is going to be around. This is what we're going for. But what about the, the washing and the anointing and putting the garment on? There's probably a couple things in view. One, she's saying, you need to get pretty, okay? You need to dress up a little bit and get your stink off, all that kind of stuff. Like, you need to take care of yourself before you go have a conversation with someone. Um, There's also another element that I think is really important in this. this. This phrasing, wash, anoint, cover yourself, put on your cloak, it shows up later in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Exact same wording, exact same author, author of Ruth, same authors, 1st, 2nd Samuel, we believe. And in this narrative, this is the story of King David. He's had uh, an affair with Bathsheba. A child has been born. 
And David finds out that his child that has come to him in his sin has died. And David's response to the surprise of his servants is in the same order. Wash, anoint, put a cloak on, put a robe on. And in essence, what, what David is doing is he is, and he tells the men this, is the morning time's over. And I, I think this is what Naomi is telling Ruth. Time for mourning is over. You know, she's lost her husband. She's been living as a widow. She's been mourning and grieving the loss of her husband. And now Naomi believes the time has come for you to pursue this man, this kinsman redeemer. Mourning is over. It's time to pursue the husband that God has for you. And so in that plan, she sends Ruth out and Ruth says, I'm all in. Whatever you command me to do, I'm going to do. So what, what do we do with this? Well, what does this teach us? And I think this is, this is the big takeaway just from this section of Scripture that I just want to challenge you this morning. And it's this. Faithful pursuit is always first and foremost a pursuit of the God who redeems. Faithful pursuit is always first and foremost a pursuit of God himself, the God who redeems. The pursuit of redemption that we see here by Naomi and Ruth is not a pursuit of a husband. That's part of it. That's not the end. The end is it is a pursuit of God because they are pursuing God's plan that he has given in his word for his people in this situation to find a spouse. Later on, Boaz will, will tell Ruth, you could have chased a younger man, you could have chased a more wealthier poor man, but you didn't. Instead, you chose God's way. Ultimately, that's what Ruth and Boaz are doing. They're choosing God's way. They are pursuing him, and they are trusting that God is going to take care of their needs. It's getting really practical with us and kind of where it hits home, especially for me personally. Here's a good, here's a good question for us. In your prayer, in your devotion, if you're a believer, are you pursuing God or are you pursuing the gifts that God gives? Are you pursuing the giver or the gift? Do you want God or do you want God's stuff? Is your concern first or foremost with obedience to God's law or getting the things that are happening in your life fixed, worked out, resolved. Now, I'll just be honest. This is always a tension in my heart. I, I tend to go straight in my prayers to my needs instead of going straight in my prayers to worship. And so quickly in the life of a believer, this can get twisted around. And I think what we see modeled in Ruth's life and Naomi's life is that in this kind of desperate situation they're in, they could have run after several different things. Instead, they choose to pursue the way that God had given his covenant people to pursue restoration through a kinsman redeemer. The same thing for us. Ultimately, if you're a Christian in this room, you're a Jesus follower, first and foremost, our pursuit is aimed and designed to be at God and for God himself. Do we want the gifts or do we want 
the giver? Do we want creation or do we want the creator? And we see this pursuit all throughout the book of Ruth, that Ruth continually lays down family, lays down, uh, you know, being able to stay at home. She chooses to work. She pursues. She's constantly pursuing the God of the covenant. And I love that. Are you, am I, is our, our first pursuit the God who first pursued us? Or is it something else? So we see this, this pursuit of redemption. The second kind of theme or thread in this passage is we see the petition for redemption. So this pursuit of redemption turns into a petition, a request for redemption by Ruth. So if you have your Bible, let's, let's look at it again. Verse 6, go moving on. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went and lied down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down, just like Naomi told her to do. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. I love scripture and how honest it is. I would be startled too. You wake up, feel a little draft, and there's a lady there. That's, that's kind of scary. So what in the world is happening? At midnight, the man was startled, turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? I love that question. Who, who are you? Someone to ask you this morning, who are you? Who are you really? Not just your name, who are you? So Ruth gives her name, but then she says her position for who she is. I am Ruth, your servant, your maid servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are Redeemer. Now that's poetic language, ladies. You want to go home and just encourage your husband, tell him to spread his wings over you, right? Um, what in the world does that mean? What's, what's going on here? So Ruth does everything that Naomi says. Boaz wakes up. What in the world? is My feet are uncovered. There's this lady here. Who are you? Ruth, Ruth tells him that. And then she makes a statement and a request. And bottom line, what she's doing is she's proposing to Boaz. Okay, fellas, most of the time it doesn't work this way where the lady comes and proposes to you, but every now and again it does. That's what's happening here. As I'm Ruth, your maidservant, she takes this posture of humility. And she says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are Redeemer. Again, there, there are some interpreters who view this as kind of being a scandalous request that, that Ruth is trying to seduce Boaz, but that, that's, that's not what's happening here. We know that for several reasons. One, the Bible would tell us if that's what's happening. Scripture doesn't hide sin. It's very clear with it. It doesn't say that. Second, we know that Ruth is a woman of character. Boaz is about to talk about that. Third, it doesn't fit the context and the story within the book. And then lastly, and I think this is the most compelling reason, is because the phrasing that Ruth uses, this spread your wings or spread your garment, is, is not random language. We've seen it before. If you have your Bible open, look over to chapter 2. Because the exact same phrase shows up in chapter 2. But this time it's Boaz speaking to Ruth. Look at verse 12. Boaz is speaking, The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Same word. Under whose wings spread your wings over your servant, or under whose cloak spread your garment, your, your cloak over your servant. 
This is what Ruth is, is asking Boaz. You prayed a blessing over me and said that I've come under the wings of God. I'm asking you to be the blessing and provision by spreading your wings over me. That what you've asked God to do, you would be the answer to that request. And I think that's true in our lives a lot of times, that, that God brings people, circumstances into our lives. We see needs, we pray for needs. A lot of times the reason that God brings those into our lives is so that he can use us to be the answer. And we don't want to look outside to someone else. We want to see what God has for us. And so God is providing for Ruth through Boaz. And Ruth sees it and she's calling his attention to it. This, this phrase also appears in another place in Ezekiel. We'll put it up on the screen. Ezekiel 16.8. And this is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel about the children of Israel. And he says this, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you are the age of love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you. Same statement. And covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. This is what Ruth is asking Boaz to do. Boaz, I've made a covenant between Naomi and myself. I'm following the covenant of God. Now I want to make a covenant with you before God. I want you to be my husband and me to be your wife. Because you are my redeemer. You are the kinsman redeemer. So what's, what's the takeaway for us? What, what do we do with this? And I, I think this is, this is what, we, what we do with it. Faithful pursuit requires a desperate dependence and an unwavering trust in the God who redeems. This is what we see lived out in Ruth in this moment. She's, she's dependent. All the cards are on the table. She doesn't know how Boaz is going to respond. He could totally take this the wrong way and have her stoned to death by law. If he sees this as her being um, pursuing him for the wrong reasons... She could lose everything that she's gained, but in this moment she's trusting Naomi and ultimately trusting God. And she is surrendering herself, her future, her fate to Boaz. But not to Boaz, right? She's entrusting herself to the care of God. I don't know how many of you enjoy going to the doctor. I don't really enjoy going to the doctor for a lot of different reasons. Uh, but if you've ever been to the doctor, you've ever had a procedure done, one of the difficult things about procedures, ultimately, you are surrendering the care of your body to this person, right? And if you need surgery, you need an operation, you're saying, I'm trusting you to do this. This should be the posture for every Jesus follower, right? That we choose to lay down control, fully trust, fully dependent, the God who called us, created us, and saved us. And yet, one of the tensions and struggles for us is we have a hard time trusting. Even more practical, let me ask you a question. If you're in this room and you're a Jesus follower, what are you having a hard time letting go of this morning? What's going on in your life that you have a hard time trusting the Lord with? What are you afraid to let go of? What are you so desperately trying to make happen that 
you're afraid if you give it to God, you're afraid of what might happen. I want to encourage you this morning. Part of being a Jesus follower means surrender. Holy, fully, all in yours. My life is not mine. My future is not mine. My things are not mine. I am yours. And Ruth models that for us. It's this dependence upon God, which is crazy considering that she's from Moab. She, she's not been a God peer. She was not raised this way. She did not come up in church. But she has seen God for who he is, and she is willing to put everything on the table to trust and follow him. I pray that would become true of you and become true of me. What in your life are you having a hard time letting go of and surrendering to him? Let go. Choose to trust. He's more than enough. Let's keep moving. So we see the pursuit of redemption and we see the petition for redemption. Thirdly, we see the promise of redemption. So what's Boaz going to do? What's Boaz going to say? How's he going to respond? There's a tension. You can feel it in this passage. Is he going to get mad? Is he going to reject her? Is he going to, what's he going to do? This is a proposal, right? There's only two responses, accept or reject. What what is going to happen? Thankfully, Boaz's response is a good response. Verse 10, and he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this kindness greater than the first. What was the former kindness? Well, in chapter 2, Boaz said uh, that the kindness, she praised her for the kindness that she showed Naomi. And so he's saying, this kindness that you have shown me is greater than the kindness that you've shown Naomi. My daughter, to choose to follow God this way and entrust yourself to me speaks a greater kindness. Because you are following the God that I worship. He goes on to explain more. He says, you've not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. He said, you've had the opportunity. You could have chased after other people. And again, it's unique. He says the word young man. The text would assume for us that most women would get married usually in their teen years, 15, 16. So at the oldest, Ruth is probably mid-20s. Boaz, on the other hand, having the field, having the harvest, having the grain, what he says here, he's probably in his 40s or 50s. And so the unlikelihood that a young woman would want to pursue him is in his mind. And he's seeing that she's not pursuing him for what she can get. She's trying to pursue God. And he says, be blessed. And now, my daughter, verse 11, do not fear. Fear not. I love the Christmas story that we read in Luke chapter 2. The angels come to shepherds and they say, fear not. All throughout the scripture, do not be afraid. This is God's plan. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of worth, a worthy woman. Your life reflects your character. Your life reflects your pursuit. Your life reflects your trust in God. People see it. People know it. Thank you for loving God that way. So much so that the watching world can see that God is the one you're pursuing. Would that be said about your life? Would that be said about my life? Verse 12, and now it is true. I am a redeemer. You're right. I am a kinsman redeemer. 
yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. So there's an, another man that's closer in his relation to Elimelech. Remain tonight in the morning. If he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, he's making an oath by the name of Yahweh himself, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So we see the pursuit of redemption, we see the petition, but here we see the promise. Boaz commits himself to pursuing Ruth's good because he has seen the goodness of God in his own life. And he's seen the goodness of God on display through Naomi's life, on display through Ruth's life. And so Boaz says, I'm all in. I'm going to do it righteously. So there's another man that I'm going to have to talk to first. And as we go through chapter 4, for the sake of time, I won't read it all. You can read it. Boaz does that. He goes to the other redeemer, has the conversation with him, and the man defers. He chooses not to pursue Ruth and pursue Naomi. And Boaz takes the cost of redemption on himself and chooses to fulfill the promise that he makes to Ruth and become the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. Boaz does it because he's trusting in God. So there's a couple just practical application points for us in this. One is that faithful pursuit requires action and rejects apathy. Faithful pursuit, it it requires action and rejects apathy. Boaz doesn't wait. He chooses. He acts on what he's seen. He acts on what God's done. He steps in on behalf of Naomi. He steps in behalf of Ruth. He comes up with a plan. He does it the right way. And I speak to all the people in the room, but especially to the men in the room. Men of righteousness, men of God, are men of action. Not of complacency. Not of apathy. Not waiting. When we see what God has called us to, what God has done, we act, we move, and we need more men like that. In our marriages, for our children, as fathers, in the church, we need men who will stand in the gap and not wait. Pray that we would be those kind of men like Boaz who would step up. And the second thing that we see in this passage of application for us is that faithful pursuit is always accompanied by personal sacrifice. Faithful pursuit is always accompanied by personal sacrifice. There is a cost to redemption for Boaz. But because he sees God's hand and God's work and God's calling, he's willing to pay the cost. He's willing to count the cost. And brothers and sisters, following Jesus will cost you. It will cost you everything. It's not about just having a good life and Jesus is on the side. Following God will cost you everything. But he is far surpassing treasure he, he is greater than the cost. Jesus tells this parable in the gospel. It's about the man and the treasure in the field. And if you remember the parable, the man's walking in a field and he comes upon a buried treasure. And it says that with joy he goes and he sells everything that he owns to purchase the field. This is what Boaz is doing. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Following Jesus will cost you everything. But he is worth the cost. And Boaz models for us in being the Redeemer. He is willing to count the cost to fulfill his promise and redeem Ruth and Naomi. 
And this brings us to the last section in this passage when we finished. We've seen the pursuit of redemption. We've seen the petition for redemption. We've seen the promise of redemption. And lastly, we see the purpose of redemption. The purpose. Look in chapter 4. We'll start in verse 13. It begins to summarize the story. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. A new name, a new inheritance, a new future, a new hope. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who's not left you this day without a Redeemer. Praised be the God, because he's brought a Redeemer into your life. Look at the second half of this. And may his name be renowned in Israel. May the God who did this name be glorified, be made known, be magnified in the nation of Israel. So what what is the purpose of redemption? What is the purpose of this story? Why is God at work doing these things in the life of Ruth, the life of Naomi, the life of Boaz? The purpose is twofold. The first is this, faithful, or I'm sorry, the purpose of redemption is to magnify the worth of the redeeming God. It's to magnify the worth of the redeeming God. Why do you exist on this planet? To magnify the worth of the redeeming God. Why do you work at Eastman or Domtar or wherever you are? You go to the school that you are. You're married to the person that you are. The reason you are alive and exist where you are is to magnify the worth of the redeeming God. And anyone and everyone in every life circumstance can do that. And God has created you for that. And so at the end of this story, everyone is looking around, seeing this crazy thing that's happened where this Moabite, not God-fearing woman has been united to this family who has now been redeemed by Redeemer. Now there's a son, and they just stand back saying, how great is our God? How great is our God who would do this, who would work this redemption? And that's the goal of your life and the goal of my life. And what we pray for this church is that people will be able to look at your lives and shout the fame of the great redeeming God. May that be true of you. May that be true of me. And no life is too little. No life is too insignificant. God wants to glorify himself through you. And that is good news of great joy, as the angel would say. But how, how is this purpose achieved? How how is the magnifying worth of God on display in this passage? This brings us to the second purpose, which ties this all together. The purpose of redemption is to point to redemption that is to come. The purpose of redemption in this story is to magnify the worth of God. How? By not just doing that in the life of these individuals, but by pointing to a redemption that is coming. Think about what we've learned about redemption since we've been in this text. We've learned several things. One is that God is the author behind redemption. God is the one at work. God is the one behind the scenes. He is sovereign. He is good. He is at work. We've also learned that redemption comes to those who are unworthy. Those who are outside the family of God. Those who are outside the covenant community. That's what Ruth represents. That's who we are. But not only does 
redemption come to those outside the covenant of community of faith, we see that redemption comes through a person. Comes through a person. In this story, it's Boaz, but the story's not about Boaz. It's about the Redeemer, the kinsman-redeemer concept, which God initiated, and it's pointing to a Redeemer that's going to come. He's going to come by his people back with his own shed blood. And that brings us to another thing that we've learned about redemption today. Redemption always comes at a price. It always comes at a price. It always comes at a cost, just like it did for Boaz. But there was a price that had to be paid for your redemption and my redemption from the bondage of sin. And that price is the blood of Jesus Christ. We also learn about redemption, that when redemption comes, it doesn't just make us better, it makes us new. Think about this, Ruth gets a new identity, a new name. She's no longer the Moabitess, she's no longer the maidservant. Guess who she is? She's the husband, or she's the wife of Boaz. Sorry. She is a part of the family And not only is she a part of Boaz's family, we read on in verse 17, and the women of the neighborhood gave him, the son, a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. 2 Samuel 7, God shows up through Nathan and tells David, hey, there's going to be a king that's going to be born out of your family line, but guess what? He's going to be an everlasting king on an everlasting throne. In Isaiah, we get the promise that there's going to be a baby who's going to be born. In a land of deep darkness has seen a great light, and a son of David is going to come. All throughout the Old Testament, we get glimmers that in the house and city of David, a Savior is coming. And then Luke chapter 2, Joseph, whose great, 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 great grandfather's Obed, shows back up to Bethlehem. This whole story takes place, and a son is born. His name's Emmanuel, Jesus, the Redeemer. And this redemption has come. For you and for me to save us from our sin. This is the story. It's not a love story. It's so much more than that. It's it's a redemption story. We get to be a part of the people of the redeemed. I'm going to invite you just to bow your head and close your eyes. The band's going to come and lead us in worship. There's two responses this morning to the good news the gospel. The first is this, if if you're here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he has not redeemed you, he's not saved you, you can be saved this morning by repenting of your sins and placing your faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, there's a good chance that for some that's already happening this morning. Just through the opening of God's word, not through anything that I've done or said or a song that's been sung, but just through the opening of God's word and story of the gospel, that God is opening your eyes and drawing your heart to see that everything that you long for and desire is found and met in him. 
And if that's you this morning, praise be to God. Praise be to God. Trust Him. Surrender to Him. Call out to Him. Ask Him to be your Savior. Ask Him to be the Lord of your life. And I encourage you, before you leave this building, come find me, the hub, come by our prayer room. Just talk to somebody about what God is doing in you. Maybe you're here and you're in need of prayer. You're in need of hope. You're in need of the things we've talked about. Come, we want to pray with you. The second group of people in this morning are the redeemed. This is our story. This is our song. And this morning we have the opportunity to be reminded and called back to our Redeemer. To worship, to adore Him, to lay our lives down before Him. To turn our pursuit from worthless things to Him and praise the God who paid our debt. That's what we want to do this morning. I just encourage you in this moment of prayer, and this is your time to respond, that you would worship. If there's anything that you're having difficulty trusting God for, you don't want to let go of control of, surrender to Him this morning, just like Ruth did. Let go. And trust the God who made you, who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light who secured an inheritance for you through Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word and the story of Ruth, the picture of redemption. May we be a people who resound the praise and the excellencies of you who've called us out of darkness into marvelous light this morning. It's your name we pray. Amen.